Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Homelands Adventure Podcast. inspired by adventure hello and welcome to the homelands adventure podcast today it's a pleasure to be joined by author writer uh, and adventurer uh, laura kennington hi laura thanks for having me hi Cameron. it's a pleasure to have you on um so i've just finished reading your book uh, kairos your first book which was published last year uh so i wanted to start off with that and just ask you, what does Kairos mean for those of people that don't know? And why did you choose that as a title of your book? Um, so Kairos is an ancient Greek word um, and it's a different sort of time. So the ancient Greeks had two different words for time. One of them is Kronos, which is probably quite familiar to everyone. It's this chronological time that we we are all kind of very aware of and then there's kairos time which is a little harder to pin down but it's basically loosely defined as the opportune moment the moment that everything kind of clicks into place and serendipity and all of that you know i think we've all experienced these things that just line up really well um so i came across that word a few years ago and i absolutely just loved it at the time i was working a job i hated and it was always like oh i'll do something cool one day and oh i'll save up a bit of money and then i'll have a life that you know doesn't drive me completely nuts and i slowly but surely realized that actually you can waste a whole lifetime just waiting for this perfect moment to just fall into your lap and i don't think that's actually how life works so i chose Kairos because it kind of underpinned every decision that I I took a few years ago to sort of branch out and have a bit more adventure in my life because I realized that I wasn't going to find that moment I had to go out and grab it and make stuff happen so Kairos for me is this concept that's really central to kind of every big decision that I make and every little decision too I guess which is a brilliant philosophy and uh, mentality to have uh, and a great name for the book um when you're in that job that you that you hate, when was the moment that it came into your mind, okay, I have to quit? Was it a big build-up over a long time or was it almost that Jerry Maguire moment of walking into the office <laughs> and taking the goldfish and saying, okay, it just... Oh, I wish I'd, I'd done. done it like that. I really wish I'd made a more dramatic exit. Um, it was a bit of both. Like, I was really unhappy. There was kind of this niggling unhappiness for a little while. Um, it was in my, my 20s and I'd kind of looked around, everyone was being really responsible, they were saving up for mortgages and I'd slowly but surely kind of succumbed to this pressure and so found myself in this job, realised almost immediately like something didn't feel good, like this didn't feel like a good decision but I went along with it um, for a while and then the real turning point for me um, is where I start the book up at with actually. So I took myself to Yosemite National Park with all my corporate wages, treated myself to this really outrageous holiday, a couple of weeks in San Francisco. Um, and this tour guide, we'd, we were going around Yosemite, we'd been doing some small jumps into like all these natural lakes, and I was feeling really cool. And then as a, I think he must have been joking, we've argued about this since, but he pointed out this massive cliff in the distance to the group and kind of said, oh, we should jump off that next. And 
I just, I don't know, it must have been the extra oxygen or that the tour guide was really cute. But I just blurted out like, yeah, let's do it. And I was the only one silly enough to kind of go along with such enthusiasm. Neither of us wanted to back down. So long story short, the tour guide and I find ourselves on top of this 40 foot cliff. Um, getting ready to jump off into this, this freezing cold glacial lake underneath it. And, uh, you know, he at some point confesses that he's got no idea how safe it is. I go very quickly from feeling like a badass to feeling like a complete moron. And like, I'm running through all these lists of injuries and all the things that go wrong. And then I realize that I'm still happier with this risk assessment of potentially breaking all of my bones and, you know, potentially having this fatal accident than I am about going back into the office next week. And I just thought there's got to be, you know, that was a, that, that, I think that was the real turning point for me. I was like, I would rather go off the cliff into oblivion and that be the way that I go or like that be the story rather than like five, 10, 20, 30 years in this office, not having anything to talk about. And I just thought, I'm, this is not right. You know, you shouldn't be, shouldn't be this unhappy that you're willing to just go off the cliff and, <laughs> you know, potentially risk your life and limb just to have a bit of excitement. Why did adventure become your outlet? Can you link it back to that moment as yeah. being on holiday or, or was it something that was a, yeah. in in your mind already to be, you know, I, I think I, you know, in terms of wanting more out of life that you could change job, you could, um, you know, take up new hobbies, but why was it adventure? Yeah, so you... I did actually, I did actually, I didn't jump straight into adventure when I came back. I realized that I liked being active. Um, I grew up on a farm. So actually my childhood was really active. I was always outdoors exploring and I felt like I'd completely disconnected from that when I was living in London. Um, and that trip really reminded me of that aspect of things that I loved, you know, just being outside, going hiking, all of those things. And so the first thing I did actually was get qualified as a personal trainer because I thought, oh, well, that's what I need. You know, this will be my new career. I just really love being active. I can support people. I can get them to be active. And it'll just be such a nicer way to spend Monday to Friday. Um, and actually, that didn't turn out to be the case. I didn't enjoy being a personal trainer. Um, I quite enjoyed the classes and I still quite enjoy doing like group events, but it still wasn't quite the right fit. But what it did do was give me this insight into sports science. And I think it was just one of those happy accidents that it kind of spiraled from there. So with this newfound knowledge of how the body works, I was like, oh, I wonder if I wonder if I can do this. And it's it's really just that's been it for the past five years. It's this, I wonder if I can do this. And then the more that I've done the more I've been like, oh, okay, I've done that. I wonder if my body can do this. And it just completely flipped my concept of what the body could do because I just thought I wasn't very sporty naturally. Um, and I realized that's complete nonsense because the body just adapts to what you put it through, really. The book's really enjoyable and uh, a really great read, but I don't think I've ever read a book where I've actually felt angry. Um, <laughs> and. and 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 the reason I say that is because one of the first big uh, challenges, or maybe the first big challenge that you did, was you decided to uh, head off and uh, take on um, the uh, a river in Russia, um, but it didn't quite go to plan. Um, Not quite, maybe, no. <laughs> maybe you could you could talk a little bit more about about that story and uh, and and how the negativity that came from the something that should have been so positive affected you yeah so um russia is this ridiculous story um so the idea was to kayak the volga river in russia 2300 miles long i'd be away for a couple of months and it it's going to be the biggest thing i'd ever done so i spent months planning for it prepping for it and 
then, you know, adventure, I guess, is the stuff you can't plan for. So I had this risk assessment of all the things I needed to know, like where the dams were, all of this sort of stuff. And it was just this Molotov cocktail where the trip became really popular very, very quickly. Um, So I stayed with this lovely couple in Moscow for the first couple of days on this website called Couchsurfing. Um, And they helped me get like a Russian SIM card. And then I explained to them a bit more about what I was doing. And they were like, oh, great. You know, maybe if we put a post up on this social media site, which is basically the Russian version of Facebook, like it's VK.com, saying this guy is staying with us. If you can help her out along the way, I'm sure she'd, she'd be really grateful for like a bed or a shower along the way. And that, that post just went bananas. Um, and I still really don't understand how that sort of stuff happens. You know, I thought cat videos were the main thing to go viral, but um, it did go completely viral in 24 hours. Like I woke up the next morning to have like 5,000 messages. My Facebook page again had like boomed overnight to like, I think I had maybe 400 on there. And it, that again went up to like five, 6,000. Um, and it just kept building momentum from that initial kind of eruption of popularity. So at the start of the river, I had a couple of news crews there translating my interviews into like five or six different languages. Um, And that attention didn't ever really go away. So I only lasted on that trip, I think, a couple of weeks before it just became really apparent that it wasn't safe to continue under this incredible um, publicity and scrutiny, I guess. So yeah, it was a very, very bizarre few weeks. And so at the time, if you can take yourself back to that moment Mm -hmm. when you're, you're seeing all these notifications coming through, are you thinking at that moment that, oh, this is great? Because presumably, you, you know, you're working with different partners and sponsors that help you with kit and, you know, it's getting you, are you thinking, oh, wow, well, the spotlight's going to be even more on them than maybe Absolutely. it would have been initially? Yeah, I was fundraising for a charity as well. So I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. You know, I thought it was this huge positive thing because I was super nervous to begin with as well. Obviously, it's like the biggest thing I'd ever undertaken. Um, and you know, it just felt like this warm embrace to rush. I was like, wow, this is so great. Here I was all nervous about going off and I'm getting this incredible welcome. And like, it was, this will be so good for the charity. I can over deliver and all my sponsorships. And I did think it, I, I thought it was positive for the, for the majority of the time, actually. Like I was very much trying to view it under this positive umbrella. And it was only slowly but surely when I began to realize that actually the flip side of that you know, was very real and couldn't be ignored either. I was like, oh, it does have some noticeable downsides too. At what point did you think, did you realise I can't be here anymore? I have to remove myself from this situation. Was there a particular moment where you, it, it really became apparent that there was no way to carry on? Yeah, I mean, the incident that brought it to a head is that is one that I mentioned in the book. I was camping on the river one night with a father and son. So I just, I'd been, we'd been kind of overtaking each other throughout the last couple of days, like I'd seen them, they were kayaking, I was kayaking. Um, And we were just kind of at the same pace on one of these days and we decided to camp together. And I thought, well, that would be really nice. I haven't, you know, had a conversation with anyone properly for a while. Um, And so we were setting up our camp and we'd gone to bed after having our dinner by the campfire or whatever. And then I get woken up, I think about 11 o'clock by just this kind of rabble of voices. And it, it, it just... They were all quite drunk. Like there's, I mean, I go into it a bit more in the book, but it just basically became very apparent that these people are driven for hours to come and find me. 
Um, it was quite a tense situation. They were really quite aggressive. They didn't want to leave. The father was really apprehensive because he wasn't translating all of what they were saying. But there was a really nasty undertone to kind of the whole thing. And this this poor eight-year-old kid, Vanya, who was who was with us, you know, the son, just looked absolutely petrified. And I wasn't I wasn't not scared. Um, it was a, it was just deeply uncomfortable. And all I could think that on that instant was I could have been camped by myself and it would have had a totally different outcome. You know, I think there was about 10 of them there and it was thanks to the father translating and kind of trying to calm the situation down a bit. And I said that, you know, I just thought to myself, that is pure luck that I've just got the one night in this entire trip so far that I'm camped with someone. Um, and I, that really shook me, actually. I didn't sleep at all that night. You know, I thought, are they going to come back? And I, I think I managed to, to calm it down by saying, yeah, I'll come and hang out with you the next night. And I can't wait to see you all for dinner. That sounds great. Um, and it just was a bit too close. And actually, the father had been saying to me, you know, you'll be the, the towns that are busier. You want to be really careful because this is you're going to have a lot more of this. And obviously, I'm largely unaware on my little kayak of what's going on in the media. Like, I'm only checking my phone maybe once or twice a day. Um, you know, I'm on my boat for like 12 hours a day. So I'm largely unaware of just how much this storm has kind of continued to, to grow. So that was the real turning point. Um, I came off the river. So I was like, right, I'll have a proper look at it when, you know, with Wi-Fi, with to just have a, a calm assessment of it, not in between kind of paddling sessions. And I just was... Uh, bowled over by actually when I did sit down to look at it just how huge it had gotten um, yeah but that instant was the definitely the turning point which is why made me so angry reading your story because you, you, <laughs> got, you got to this point in life where you, you realize you, you, you're not where you want to be you've made that great move uh, bold move of quitting your job which I'm sure many people you know perhaps listening to to this will be thinking oh I'm not quite happy in what I'm doing what do I do next where do I go and you you've you've gotten over that tipping point and put yourself out there into the world mm -hmm. to take on this incredible challenge and then not only having to end the challenge early and I'm sure we've been very disappointed in that when you come back to the UK there's some pretty horrible headlines being written mm. that How I think that was one of the hardest things for me because my overall experience of Russia was was my initial experience of like this incredible warm welcome and that just got completely buried under controversy you know everyone loves like the negative stuff so everyone's like oh yeah these few people did this and I was like cool can we can we also talk about the family that took me in for two weeks like can we just balance it out but that's not how our press works um it's generally not how most kind of things like that work you know everyone loves the the, uh, the scandal um and it was really sad for me when I thought of how much kindness I'd received that that just got buried under, you know, the few, I mean, it was a significant minority, but it was still a minority for sure. So that was the most frustrating thing for me, I think. Uh, I'm sure a lot of disappointment in not being able to fill the challenge in the way that you originally intended. Now, several years on, would you ever return to the river to take on the challenge again and or complete the route? Yeah, I do get asked that one quite a lot. I have to say, um, it's not it's not high on my list at the moment. Um, and the reason for that is that I actually, I, I wouldn't go back until I knew it, it would be different. Um, and I can't see that I would be able to go back under the radar and that just wouldn't kick up all again, if not worse, you know, after leaving and all the, the headlines. Like I think if I was to go back now, it would probably kick it all up again and probably double double the publicity um so yeah until I think that would be different 
I'm not particularly inclined to do it. I don't think it's fair on kind of anyone involved. And also, I just think there are other rivers, you know, like that's not what I went there for. I didn't go there to kind of have all this publicity. I went there to have a couple of months by myself, figure out this new chapter in my life. And that's what I love about adventure is the simplicity of it. So um, maybe one day, but not, uh, not anytime soon, I don't think. And one thing that struck me about um, the way that you perhaps craft your adventures is that there seems to be um, a very personal stamp on them and that how important is it for you to um, take the road that's perhaps less, less trodden and, and do something that's a little bit different to the, to the norm within the adventure travel circuit? Uh, it's, I think half of my joy comes from planning the adventures. You know, for me, it is about crafting them all by myself and just looking at this, the map with a sense of curiosity. Um, so it's why I don't tend to do organized events. Like I've got nothing against them. I dabbled in them maybe early on, but they just really don't motivate me. Um, whereas planning it and pulling it all together, it really adds to my sense of enjoyment and really adds to my sense of kind of pride at the end when I finished it. You know, I like to take control over all of it. Um, and yeah, like for me, it's about kind of exploring as well. So the reason I kind of avoid organized events is because I'm like, oh, where do I want to go? And wouldn't it be cool to kind of plan this and plot my own route? So yeah, it's very integral, I think, to every trip that I do that it's got kind of got my stamp on it, I think. And a lot of the challenges that you take on um, uh, are solo um, and you're in your own headspace a lot of the time. How do you prepare for that mentally? Really interesting question because I think there's a few different aspects to it. Um, I tend to flood myself with kind of resources. So I read a lot um, and I read a lot of mindset books and that's kind of always going on in the background anyway because I find it a fascinating topic. Um, and then I think I need to do this less now because I've got a bit of um, experience behind it. But in the early days, I just practiced suffering. Um, so like I would set the alarm for three o'clock in the morning and obviously no one really wants to get out of bed at three o'clock in the morning in winter. Um, but that was a really good muscle to kind of strengthen. Cause I'm like, well, you know, if you're going to have to do something that sucks on your trip, then at least you'll kind of get used to just this idea of doing things that you don't want to do. And, you know, so I, I practice things like that and I practice long training sessions. And I just think that stubbornness is something that you can cultivate like a muscle. And if you just get used to to demanding a bit more of yourself and not using excuses and yeah, I think that really helps. So all of that kind of has played off in the adventures when I'm having a really tough day. I'm like, cool, I know what this is. I know I'm miserable and I just have to carry on, which is like the 3 a.m. alarm or whatever else. There's another layer to that though, isn't there? Because if you're um, in the moment on an adventure, you have to react to that moment because it's happening right there and then. But when you're at home and you're setting an alarm at three o'clock <laughs> in the morning, you're at home, you're in bed, you're perhaps cozied up and you think, well, I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> so that's almost, in certain way, the, the, the bigger challenge. So how, when you're in that um, preparation uh, uh, mentality, do you stick to the those little mini kind of challenges and suffering tasks that you set yourself? I, I think I lie to myself. So I sort of say, oh, you can just do 10 minutes. And that for me is like the key for most training sessions that I don't want to do or most, you know, most things that I find really difficult, even if it's like sitting, sitting down to do some admin or whatever, I'm like, cool, just start it, take that first step. And if you're still not feeling it after like 10, 20 minutes, you can just bail on it and come back. 
But I find for me anyway, if I've take if I'm out on the road for the first 10 minutes, I'm not, I'm not going to come back. You know, I've already got out the door. And I think it is that initial, um, that initial thing that is so tough. So for me, I, I just give myself this pretend excuse that I'm like, well, you can come back after 10 minutes if you want. Um, and that is not true. I know I'm probably not going to come back, but knowing that that is my option sometimes helps. And something else that I picked up on, um, uh, which I'm, I think has been asked before, but you don't have a TV. And for a lot of people, that's, you know, it, it, it's a comfort to spend time um, uh, watching TV and watching films and, uh, and binging series and whatnot. But do you think that actually having perhaps less time away from the screen in your normal day-to-day life when you're not on the road having an adventure helps with that mental preparedness for when you are in the challenge? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I haven't had a TV for years now and I have to say, I think it's one of the best life decisions I have ever done. I still, you know, if I really feel the need to to have a really bit of like lazy chill out, I, you know, I've got Amazon, there's Netflix. I can log on to stuff and do it if I want to watch it on my laptop. But for me, the key difference is I'm actively and consciously going there because I want to watch something. And I think the deadly thing about the TV is that you just sit there and you flick and you just kind of, even if there's nothing on, you just, you're sat there. So you do it. Whereas for me, it will be because I actively want to watch a documentary or I want to see a film. Um, otherwise I'm reading and it's, it's much less passive. So it's much more directed if I'm going there. And I just think that that has freed up an awful lot of time to do a lot more valuable things and kind of sit in front of the screen. <laughs> And one of the the next big challenges that you that you took on was uh, to cycle the North Coast uh, 500 route in Scotland, um, and having been through that experience in 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 Russia and not complete the challenge, you head to Scotland and incur an injury and don't complete that challenge. How was that for you in then taking on not the second one of the the second big endeavours? that didn't quite work out the way that you intended. Did you find that challenging mentally? Was that tough? Did you feel, how do you cope with the disappointment of it, which I imagine must have been there? Yeah, it's really interesting because I feel like ever since that Russian mishap, I'd had this little chip on my shoulder about I can't ever fail anything again. Like that whole experience was so painful um, that I was just determined to never fail again at anything. And then I got confronted with it in Scotland. Like I literally couldn't put any weight on my left leg. And I probably tried to carry on a bit further than I should have done because of this, like, you will not fail. (laughs) Um, But I have to say that whole experience I'm really grateful for now because this big fear that I've been building up in my head about you cannot fail, you have to be perfect, like never again would you go through that, um, actually turned out to be great because it was all in my head. You know, I was basically imagining all these headlines again and all of that. And actually none of that happened. What I found is when I failed in Scotland because I'd hurt my leg, I just got this outpouring of compassion and like, oh, don't worry. I'm so sorry. I hope you heal soon. And I, that really took me by surprise because I I was sat there like braced for all this kind of crap to come back at me. Um, and I was like, oh no, that's, that's obviously not how like people behave. Like, I don't know why I had this I think it was, you know, obviously a hangover from the British tabloids going nuts a few years ago. Um, But it was also a really good reminder to me that I should, uh, you know, I should accept failure because otherwise, if I'm just living in fear of failing, I'm never going to do anything. 
Um, and it was really important for me as well to, to have a bit of kindness. That was the first trip, I think, that um, brought in like a bit more compassion because I, I'd lost my nan a couple of weeks before. And so I shouldn't have really been in the Highlands to begin with. I think I'd, I'd, it was the week before I'd flown home from the funeral and then got on the sleeper train to Scotland. Um, so this injury and just the general grief in, you know, that had been hanging over the trip was actually, it's good that it stopped me in my tracks because it's unsustainable, I think, to constantly, you can get yourself so far with stubbornness and beating yourself over the finish line, but I don't know that that's sustainable for, for a long, long period of time. So it was really difficult, but it was definitely a good thing. At any point, did you feel this is happening again? I, I This isn't for me. Um, because you talk about the kindness there, but that that's in the, uh, I suppose, in the aftermath of having finished the challenge early. But in the moment, are you thinking, no, this isn't this isn't what I should be doing? Or are you? Does it make you even more resilient and determined to think, no, this is ending not in a way that I wanted to again? But do you know what? Next time, it doesn't matter. Or you know, you, you, you're creating your own rules. Yeah, it's interesting, actually. At no point in all of that distress, I remember being on the phone to my friend, like crying, being like, I'm going to have to turn back. I can't walk. Um, and like, even remember kind of talking it through with her. And actually, she was the one that pointed out, like, you should probably just turn back. Because I was like, maybe I can just carry on with my right leg. And she kind of echoed back to me how completely ridiculous that was. Um, but at no point did I think, oh, I've picked the wrong, wrong career. Like, at no point did I think that it was more just like, how am I going to live through this again? Like, how am I going to, you know, I'm, it's, it more, it felt more like just a step back. And I thought I'd gone past this thing of having to prove past the failure. And I was like, oh, not again. Like, it wasn't that, oh, I should just quit and run away and never be seen. It was like, oh God, do I really have to build myself back up again after another failure? Something that you continue to do um, as you started off with in Russia was to use a a tracking system so that people can monitor where you are on your journey. Did you did you get put off by that? And why did you continue to um, to to use a tracking system? And I I know we spoke um, uh, just before recording the episode about a mutual friend of ours, Lindsay Cole. When we spoke with her on an earlier uh, episode of the podcast, she circumnavigated Australia and um, actually found perhaps some comfort in speaking with the press. Mm. But did you ever feel that anonymity might be your friend um, uh, in terms of you know maybe? only communicating with a close circle rather than publicly, uh, uh, you know, making it known where you were at any given point in time and how much pressure maybe did you feel from certain sponsors to, to be able to, you know, be publicly telling your story as you're going on the journeys? Yeah, it's interesting actually, because, um, I certainly made some modifications from, to the tracking system and I, it's very much relevant on the situation for the challenge as well. So, um, on a bike, for example, I've done a lot of my, my trip cycling It's very easy for me to switch the tracker off early if I'm camping. So I do that for sure, which actually I did in Russia as well. It's just a bit harder to hide on a river because you can only really be on like one side of the bank. But if you're on a bike, for example, I can just, if I know I'm going to be looking for a campsite in a couple of hours, I can just switch the tracker off um, before I'm going to camp. And I can be relatively confident that no one's going to actually track me down, especially in the highlands of Scotland or, you know, the wilderness of, of Ireland um, and places like that. And the second thing I think as well is that I actually 
think that the chances of what happened in Russia, it was such a, like I said earlier, like a Molotov cocktail, you know, of this trip becoming hugely public um, in a way that hasn't ever really happened since. And I don't think it, it probably would. I think it's very unusual to get that much attention on someone who's doing a trip. Um, so for me, yeah, it's a, it's a justifiable risk or, or like it's a risk that I calculate depending on the situation. I keep the tracking map because I love connecting with schools and I love being able to share that and, you know, they can match the miles and they can get really involved. And I think that's really positive to be like planting these seeds. Um, in terms of pressure to share, I think that was the last bit of that question, pressure to share the journey live. Um, I, I don't know that I feel pressure um, at all from sponsors. For me, again, it's, it's seeing what good can come of it. And I actually really enjoy that storytelling aspect of it. I never do it to the detriment of kind of my own well-being. So if I feel like I need to shut off, um, I would do that. Um, but I also, I, you know, as you said, a lot of those trips are solo. So for me, it's actually really nice to have that connection as well. So like on the last trip I did, there were some really tough days and I would just be like, I'm just going to be honest. I'm just going to, right you know this Instagram or whatever like just updating people on the fact that I've had a really tough day and let the chips fall where they may and actually that encouragement in lieu of human contact was really nice you know I'd wake up and see this and it would give me a little boost so I think it's a kind of circular process of you know sharing the highs and lows with people which maybe inspires them to think that you don't have to be invincible to do it and then I get a huge kind of reward from that as well there's a lot of will and determination to get to a finishing line and a lot of the endeavors that you take on are long journeys you know running 100 miles across Fort Ventura and cycling 8,000 uh, uh, miles or kilometers kilometers, <laughs> kilometers. Uh, it's still a long way um, yeah. <laughs> no matter what metric you put to it but um, how present do you feel when you're on an adventure can you be present in the moment or is it focused on the finishing line all the time? Are you, are you constantly ahead of yourself to, to be able to motivate yourself in your mind to, you know, it's getting to the end, it's getting to the end, or can you enjoy the journey as you go? I think it, it, it kind of is on a scale, to be honest. So um, depending on what kind of day I'm having, actually on the tougher days, I don't even think about the finish line at all like I just I, I'm really present on the tough days because if I think about like I think the last one I think I was in Germany and I still had like maybe just under 2,000 miles ahead of me and I felt absolutely broken I was in the worst possible mood and it, the thought of 2,000 miles was just almost debilitating um so I brought it right back and I just kind of like my 10 minute rule at home I'm like cool you don't have to do 2,000 miles maybe just get to the next petrol station and maybe get to the end of today. And if you want to quit by the end, you know, tomorrow morning, then maybe we'll look at it again then. Um, and I think it's because I have this, this rule that you just don't give up when you're crying and you don't give up when you're in a bad mood, like have a shower, have, have a night if you need it and rest and really sleep. And then if, if doing that, after doing that, you still feel like quitting, then maybe there's something in it. But I think it's really important to recognize that emotions are not always rational. Um, and they pass as well. You know, you can sometimes go through like 17 different emotions during the course of a day on your bike. Um, and it's important to, to know that logically, um, as tough as it feels. So for me, actually staying present on a trip 
is often how I succeed, I think. We touched on it earlier, that the sort of personal nature, the, the planning that you put in, the preparation and the enjoyment that you have into the adventures that you create. As a professional adventurer, how much say do you have in your own adventures? Is it all on your own terms or are you guided by some of the sponsors and partners that perhaps come to you and say, hey, Laura, we, we'd like you to do this and perhaps feature our products along the way? Um, I'm very lucky or I've been very determined either way. But um, for me, it's definitely the former, not the latter. So um, I'm, I do count myself lucky in that the sponsors that I've got, especially the long-term brand partners, are completely supportive um, and it's up to me. Like I tell them what I'm doing and they kind of fit in with that and they support that. Um, I don't think there's ever really been much compromise. I think every brand that I've spoken to has been because I'm doing this and I think they can fit in with it. Um, and I don't know that I'd feel really that comfortable if it was the other way around. Um, so for me, it's the adventure definitely comes first. Um, and then it's fitting the brands in around it. And luckily, um, they're all completely fine with that too. <laughs> and you do, uh, you mentioned schools, you do a lot of um, public speaking and talks. Um, what are the questions that you get asked the most? <laughs> which, which questions do you love getting asked? Sorry, I'm giggling as soon as you said schools. My favourite question in any school talk is always from like this cheeky little kid in the front row who asks about where I go to the toilet and things like that. Because I do a lot of corporate talks as well. And they're always like, cool, so let's talk about budget and let's talk about risk assessment. Um, and it's fine. Like that stuff is cool to, to chat about too. But you can, yeah. Like So in schools, it's always like, these wacky, but where did you go for a poo? And like, you know, all of that. And you just see the teachers looking absolutely horrified. Like, you can't ask that. It's not polite. Um, so yeah, I do. I, I love uh, left field questions like that. <laughs> and perhaps what, what are the questions that you, 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 you don't like answering? Are there any that get put to you and you think, well, that, that's maybe, you know, overstepping the mark a little bit? Oh, or... Interesting. I don't know that there's any that I don't like. I think... Um, yeah, I can't think of, because anything that rubs me up the wrong way a bit, I view it as an opportunity to kind of set people straight. So there's a lot of, not a lot, I should, there's not a lot, but occasionally you'll get someone who'll be like, oh, well, you know, I'd love to do that, but I've got this mortgage and this, and it's not really a question. It's just kind of, they just lob it out there. Um, to which my only response is like, cool, with A, different life choices. Like I decided not to have a mortgage, so I appreciate that's part of it. But B, also, you know, I'm not saying everyone quit their job. Like I've never, I don't think I've ever said that in any single talk or any interaction that I've ever done. Um, because lots of people shouldn't quit their jobs and lots of people would hate spending three months on their bike. But I do think that there's, you can take stuff back from these big adventures and you can be like, cool, how can I bring a bit more of that into into my own life so I think what I find frustrating sometimes is when people say oh well I'd love to do that but I can't because of time money commitments blah, 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 blah. and I get that maybe it's not practical to head off on a three-month trip but I'm not advocating that people do so I find it frustrating when that pops up so I'm just like cool can you take that and then maybe do something that fits in like look at what you can do rather than the three-month epic that you can't but yeah, that's about the only thing I can think of. And I can imagine that the, when you're on an adventure and you're undertaking a challenge, you know, you, you, there's a lot of drive and determination. Hard work goes into that. 
um, physically, mentally in the preparation stages, but also in the downtimes as well, trying to perhaps bring in partners and sponsors and, 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 and make a living out of the things that you enjoy doing. Um, have you ever felt any, um, has there ever been any times where you've, you've, you've felt the pull of the nine to five world bringing you back in to almost say, oh, this might not be sustainable in the long term? Um, well, uh, recent pandemic aside, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, ha- I have to say, I, d- I don't think so, actually, because even when I'm having these mo and it's not to say to be clear about this it's not to say that I've never had wobbles and thought oh my god this isn't sustainable and how do I make this work because there's been there's been tons of those um you know any self-employed person I think will recognize that of have I made a massive mistake and oh I probably could have had you know the house that my friend has now and you see people who make different choices and the things that they have as a result of that and how easier some things are but I don't think I've ever felt enough like that to make me reconsider what I'm doing it's more just like okay this is really frustrating what am I missing how can I make it better so it's not like oh I've made a mistake and let's quit it's like cool there's obviously something showing up here um but there's a solution and there's a solution I think there that doesn't involve me going back to a job I hate like I think that there's enough options in the world um to think creatively to think well you know maybe I can do this and maybe I can and still be doing something that I actually care about when you're facing a tough moment, the you you you're cycling through Scotland. The weather's horrible and the hills really steep. Sounds about right. Yeah, every, every, everything's going. Everything's very on brand for Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> um, I've been there and done it, so, so yeah, I know I as well. Um, but when you're in those tough moments and those 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 really sort of dark moments, and you're you're by yourself um, again, a large part of the time on on these challenges. Are there some moments that you then take and refer back to, reflect back upon from other adventures that you've been on that you that are your go-to memories that you think, okay, well, I had this moment at that time and it really helps you to to push on and move forward. And perhaps could you, you share what those moments might be? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that we've mentioned Russia and Scotland, actually, um, because I think for a long time, Russia was a big driving force for everything else that I did because this, you know, the, the the sting of that not working out was propelling me forward with determination for a lot of other stuff. And similarly, when I injured my leg in Scotland, um, when I went back to do it a second time, I was like, God, this is so amazing. This is all the stuff I didn't get to do. And I thought of how dejected and like, mortified and upset and I I was to be turning back in Scotland and the pain of that and like literally crying on the train home and I thought of that person like that Laura past Laura and I just thought wow she'd be so excited that she'd be back and her leg healed and I you know that kind of propelled me forwards for for Scotland again Um, and also I guess the more you do the more you know that it passes so you know that actually if you quit and you don't manage to fit to finish something, you know, oh, well, I now know the pain of that very well. Um, so that kind of stops me from quitting as well because I think about it and I give myself the option and I think, well, actually, how is that going to feel? Like, let's sit in that decision. I quit and I turn home and I know it's going to feel absolutely awful. So that kind of helps. And to know that something brighter is going to happen, I think, is good to keep in perspective. And another thing I think that keeps that on track um, is a daily journal that I do. I should have mentioned this earlier. On every trip, I make a list of three things that have gone really well um, that I feel really grateful for. And I know it sounds super cheesy, 
But that little habit has saved my bacon more time on adventures that I, than I care to remember because you'll have the worst day and you'll be, you know, teetering on the edge of quitting and throwing the towel in and being like, this is stupid. I should just go home and be comfortable. And then you'll make yourself make a list of three things. You're like, oh, actually something good did happen today. And it just shifts your focus. And I think if you can shift your focus onto something good, that does an awful lot for your motivation. You mentioned that you enjoy the preparation. You mentioned making lists there. Do you try and bring some structure into the adventures to to help to try and add an element of routine? Yeah, massively. Uh, I'm a big fan of spreadsheets for adventures, which I know is not that cool, but um, I generally break down my days on an adventure and a challenge to like daily mileage targets. Um, And it's not that I can't experiment with that or, you know, maybe do a bit more, a bit less, depending on how I'm feeling. But for me, it really helps to have that target and something to aim for. So I put quite a lot of structure in. um, And I do that, like I said, for the target, but also because um, the last trip, for example, I needed to tell one of my brand partners when I'd be in in the Netherlands. I needed to hook up with them. So just actually, if if I sit down and do that, it makes everything else a bit easier. So if an opportunity comes up when I'm on the road, I don't have to sit there for hours thinking about when I can fit something in. I can just look at the spreadsheet and be like, cool, we can talk on this day or I can pop in to do a talk on this day. And that just saves an awful lot of headspace as well. Kind of just opening up and be like, right, this is the the plan today. Um, Yeah, is a big mental save of energy for me. Um, What are perhaps some of the smaller, quieter moments that you've had when you've been um, undertaking a challenge that, just stand out to you as being sort of special memories that you reflect back upon? Um, I'm a sucker for a sunrise and a sunset, but especially sunrises. Um, Because generally speaking, you tend to have the world to yourself at sunrise because people are sleeping. Um, And I can think of so many peaceful mornings when I've set up early because I've got a longer mileage day ahead of me. And that's, that's far away. That's in Russia. That's, you know, across Europe, but it's also on the Thames. Like I paddled the Thames home for Christmas one year, um, in December. And my friend Pete and I would be on the river early morning. Everyone's asleep. It's winter. And it's just so peaceful. And those magical moments, I think that's why I quite often go out for a sunrise ride or something when I'm home. Cause I'm trying to recapture that stillness and simplicity. So yeah, definitely sunrises. <laughs> certainly feels like within the UK, there is a thriving adventure community. How connected do you feel to that? And how much perhaps support and, and help is there within, the, within that community for fellow adventurers? Yeah, I think the UK adventure community is absolutely amazing. Um, I've certainly never experienced anything but a huge, huge, huge level of support. Um, and I think everyone would say the same. And I, I would say that as well, now being a bit more experienced, if someone comes to me, I make sure that I take the time to reply to them. And I've got absolutely, you know, open door policy with people wanting advice or tips or anything, because I think it's important to pay it forward. And I think the reason it's so important to remember that is because everyone has to start somewhere. Um, and so I certainly really appreciate all the advice that I got on very early on. And I, yeah, if anyone's listening to this, I just think it it is really open. You know, everyone is really supportive. Everyone's really welcoming. Um, and I think they want to help, you know, because everyone's had help along the way as well. And I think that in the UK, I, you know, in the UK, I think we are very lucky in that it is quite reciprocated. 
And looking back now, what advice would you give to your younger pre um, jump, jumping off the cliff in, in, in California self, um, having, you know, spent a number of years now, uh, as a professional adventurer, what would you, what would you go back and, and, and tell your younger self if anything different mm. at all? Yeah, I guess the biggest thing for me is to care less about what you should be doing. Cause I think that's what, that's what drove me into that office job. And that's what, and I've never desired to work in insurance ever. Like that was never even anywhere on the dream list. And the only reason I did it is because I, I thought I should, you know, I thought I should be getting a mortgage. I thought I should have this money and, you know, and that was just a complete disaster. But I, that pressure just led me down a really dodgy path. So I guess I try and care less about that stuff sooner. Um, I mean, I wasn't there for very long, so I guess I did bucket quite early. But um, I think you, looking back and you get a bit older, you really realize that actually, you know, everyone's got their own stuff and it's okay to have a different path. But when you're a bit younger, it feels mortifying to look around you and think, well, actually, this is what everyone else is doing. And someone here is calling me irresponsible and telling me I should care about a mortgage. And that opinion seems really important to you at that point. And then later on, you realize that actually that's just someone's opinion. And what is it now that you, you now that you've got uh, plenty of mileage under your belt, and uh, <laughs> whether it's kayaking or running or cycling, um, what is it now that excites you about future challenges and the next challenge? What is it that you look for and you perhaps need to have in in the next uh, uh, adventure that you take on? It's yeah, I've, I think I've distilled this down actually because I think there's two kind of elements. But the biggest the biggest element for me, I've come to realise is that my stomach has to feel a little bit sick. Um, for me, it's really important to think, oh, have I got a bit too far? Like, have I, am I going to be able to do this? Um, because if I know I can, I think, you know, that just doesn't really do it. But it's this, it, it's this combination of like going somewhere new and that's really exciting and that's really cool. And then it's like, but how can I push it? How can I really push like my body to the limit? And how can I figure out if that's, you know, if it's possible. Um, so that's normally characterized as well by like a week or two before me thinking this is the worst idea I've ever had and I shouldn't have done it. So if I'm not feeling like that a week before the trip, I think something's probably gone a bit wrong. <laughs> and where's uh, where's the favorite place that you've that you've you've adventured and been to on your travels? Um, so Ireland is very dear to me because I'm half Irish, um, but also Norway. Norway, I think anyone who's ever been to Norway will agree with me. It's just magical um the people are incredible the scenery is outrageous and like just the whole culture you know they're such an outdoorsy kind of culture and it just felt like they were on my wavelength you know I really just felt really home at, at, at home and really welcomed with the kindness so yeah Norway for sure and what's on the bucket list oh goodness what is it on the bucket list um definitely I've not been to Canada um, so Canada's pretty high. Um, I'd like to maybe experiment a bit more with my running in the future. Um, and I also want to switch up the cycling that I do. So I'd like to pack a bit lighter and go a bit quicker, maybe. I feel like I've, the distance with panniers is, is done now. But, but yeah, I think um, Canada is probably really high on the list for sure. And uh, if people want to uh, buy a copy of the book um, or find out more about your uh, current and future <laughs> challenges, uh, where can they find you, Laura? 
Um, so the website is the best place to get the book. It's laurakairos.com and my social media handles are the same. So Instagram and Facebook is Laura Kairos and then on Twitter, it's Kairos Laura. Brilliant. Well, um, thank you so much for taking time out to, to have a chat today. Pleasure speaking with you and uh, yeah, good luck on the next challenge. Thank you.